Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Join me for the ultimate Team Mom deep dive. This is more than just a recap show. I'll scour the internet to bring you all the best drama that MTV didn't air. From police reports to deleted tweets, I've got the details on all the fights, breakups, and arrests of our favorite MTV train wrecks. If you think the moms bring the drama on TV, just wait until you hear what really happened. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello, everyone. First of all, Merry Christmas. Uh, Christmas is in, what, two days? Hope everyone has a great Christmas if you celebrate. Second of all, this is going to be the last pod of 2018. I'm going to take off next week. I know, but I promise you all are also... Wow, I cannot speak. You will all survive. As you know, I take very few weeks off. (laughs) So just bear with me, but I'm going to give myself a nice little break. I have off work. Weirdly, my job works on the 24th and we're going to work a half day on Monday and then I have off the 25th and the 26th. I don't know. So I just want to like actually enjoy my time off and my days off and not worry about a podcast. So yeah, I'm thrilled for that. So yeah, as I said, I will be off next week. You don't miss me much. Um, I want to start off this pod by saying that former guest of the pod, Jess, who if you will remember, her dog George barked through our podcast, <laughs> and she was on my uh, Jersey City episode where the four of us talked, is literally giving birth to a baby right now. I am waited, waiting with bated breaths on updates. She's part of my teen mom group chat, so I mean, it's not a teen mom group chat. It's our best friendship group chat now, <laughs> so I'm just waiting on my updates Jess, I'm very excited for little baby to be here. She probably won't be listening to this for a while because she's going to be busy with a actual newborn human. Okay, so this has been like kind of a crazy week for Teen Mom News. I would say the two big stories are, well, three big stories. Two of them involve Janelle. One involves Ryan. So I want to start out with the Ryan story. Okay, so it came out this week that Ryan is back on Tinder and has been texting with a Tinder girl and met up with a Tinder girl. Now, do I believe this? Yeah. I, like, yeah, pretty much. Um, so Radar got a hold of these texts that are basically him. First of all, he sent, like, dick pics, which Radar didn't post, which, like, rude. Although, I mean, I'm morally against, like, revenge porn in which this would be. So I guess I can't say that I want to see the dick pic, but I want to see it to see if it's actually his face. Anyway, Radar says that they've confirmed that it is his phone number that was texting this girl. He told the girl that he was out of rehab and used to be a heroin addict and then asked if she wanted coke, (laughs) which I don't know. Does that mean he's doing the coke? Probably, but also I'm like, maybe he was just trying to impress her by saying he could get it for her. I don't know. It was very weird. She's like, do you smoke weed? He's like, nah, just got out of rehab. Used to mess with H. It's like, who volunteers that when you're trying to impress someone? (laughs) Although, I don't know. In early recovery, I used to kind of just like tell people crazy stuff because I like didn't know what to say. Even so, when people are like, why did you live in Florida? I'm like, 
you know, I just like wanted a change of scenery. And they're like, did your family live there? I'm like, no. Like, how did I end up in West Palm Beach? I usually just like dance around it and then people stop asking me questions. But it, that was like, I remember that being very hard when I was in very early recovery and I got this job at Morton Steakhouse as a hostess. And like on my first day, people were like, why'd you move down here? And I was like, for rehab. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I think I was like so scared of being in a restaurant environment again, but it was like the first job that I got offered. So I took it and cause I had always worked in restaurants, like my whole life basically, like my whole working life. I worked in restaurants usually as a server, but I got a job as a hostess. And I think I was just so scared of being in, like, a hyper-alcoholic environment, which actually Morton's was not at all because nobody could drink there. And it was only dinner shift, and they closed pretty early, and it just wasn't... I mean, like, the people would go out to drink, but it just... A lot of the servers are older. They were, like, career servers. It wasn't college students, but I didn't really know that on my first day. So I was just like, I went to rehab. I don't know. It was crazy. But so Ryan texted this girl. Then it comes out that because, you know, what Radar does, in case you guys didn't know, Radar buys a story and then breaks it up into like 17 articles so that they can get that ad money. So the first day is like, look, Ryan's back on Tinder and it's pictures of his Tinder. And I'm like, that could be easily faked. Like, it could be true because Ryan's like a cheater and a bad person, but like it could be faked. Then we see the text messages and the too rude, uh, as they put them, naked pictures. And basically, it's just like talking about how his dick is long and how he's sure she's tight and wet. Wow. I mean, this podcast is not safe for work. I think we already know that. And it's like, okay. Um, like, if that's really his face, like, yikes. I'm guessing that, you know, it's probably him. Then they released the Coke text messages. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then they released this article in which, it's so crazy, in which the girl says that they had sex. He came over to her house at like 2.30 in the morning and they had sex without a condom. Now, did I make some stupid decisions to sleep with people without condoms when I was a fucking reckless drug addict? Yes, I did. Would I have ever admitted that to Radar Online? No, I would not. Did I just submit that on this podcast? Yes, I did because it was many moons ago. I would never do it again. <laughs> not with a sober mind. I did this in my early 20s. I'm now in my 30s. <laughs> would not be so stupid as to do that again. But, ugh. Like, I actually, like, shudder when I think about it and I'm so grateful that, like, nothing happened from it, which, trust me, I... I know for a fact nothing happened because it's been I many years and I've had many positive, or not positive, I guess, negative, clean bills of health. Let's say that. But the idea of her, somebody going to Radar Online and being like, I slept with an active IV, well, I guess not active, that we know of. I slept with an, a known IV heroin user without a condom, and I know he's married. Sorry, my mom just <laughs> didn't realize I was doing my podcast and yelled for me. Take out the dog. And then she was like, ah, I didn't realize you were doing your podcast. So I lost my train of thought. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just, like, crazy that, like, somebody that you know is an IV drug user, somebody that you know is married, that you would then go and sleep with them without a condom and then tell Radar online about it. Like, 
keep that detail to yourselves. Like, I would take that detail to my grave. <laughs> I would tell no one about that. Ugh, I don't know. It's just so weird. So, like I said, do I think this is true? Yes. Honestly, like, I do. The pictures really looked like him. By the way, if you want to see the pictures, if you want to see the text, please come over to my Instagram at EVP underscore feathers. I really want to get to a thousand followers. I feel like that'd be a nice little moment for my Instagram account. And I post on there almost every day, sometimes multiple times a day. If things are popping off, I try and keep you guys up with the news. Uh, people send me stuff, which I appreciate. Although like I'm not sure people understand, like, how addicted to my screens that I am. And so I see all Teen Mom news, like, immediately as it happens. <laughs> it's really pathetic. But, yeah, if you follow my EVP underscore feathers Instagram account, then you can definitely find out about my, about what's going on in the Teen Mom world. You can see Ryan's texts. <sighs> I don't know. Then Radar, probably somebody released an article saying that he hadn't been home all week and that Mac is upset. And I believe that. I really just hope she leaves him. Like, girl, just leave him. You don't need to be with him. She also hasn't posted anything denying it, which she usually does. You know, usually she'll, like, take a picture of Ryan and be like, don't believe everything you read or some bullshit like that. And she didn't do that. So I'm not sure. I'm, like... You know that Oprah gif of her talking to Lindsay Lohan? She's like, so what is the truth? And that's where I am. I, my gut instinct says this is true and to believe it. Uh, I also think that that girl, like, on purpose sought Ryan out and slept with him so that she could talk to Radar online. <laughs> Which is a choice. Would you make that choice? I mean, I wouldn't. But also, like, maybe I would have when I was in my 20s. Not my late 20s, guys. My early 20s when I was a mess. Ugh. Okay. The other big news of the week. The Janelle news. So, earlier this week, David had posted on YouTube a video of him. It's kind of hard to explain the video. But if you want to see the video that Ashley has the actual video posted, I didn't post the video on my Instagram because screen recording, it's, you know, a whole thing. But basically... David and Janelle had parked their boat on, like, a street in downtown Wilmington in, like, a pair, you know, like, parallel parking spots on the side of the road in metered spots. And for some reason, they didn't park the boat. Usually, okay, when usually when you park a boat in a parking spot, you put the trailer in two whole spots. And if it's metered, you pay for those spots because you want there to be enough room to back out and back in. They didn't do that for some reason. The spot, the boat, they have a little boat. And the boat, it's probably, I don't know, 14 feet. It's little. Um, maybe even less. But the boat's just, like, just barely, like, hanging on the end of the spot behind it. So it's basically completely in one spot. And for whatever reason, <laughs> they claim they somebody came, parked behind them, completely in their spot wasn't like it was close but not they weren't like touching up against the boat they were completely legally parked and David and Janelle were mad about this and claimed that they couldn't get their truck out it's a little hard to see what's in front of where the truck would be parked because they just don't show it and so they take a video of David using a chain a metal chain to drag I mean illegally tow 
this truck that's blocking them in. And they tow it back like 10 feet. And first of all, you're, you just, you're not allowed to do that. Like that's, you know, very illegal, <laughs> very illegal. Second of all, like you can really fuck up a car doing that. Now, I kind of instinctively knew this when you tow a car, it has to be a neutral. I know a lot about towing cars in general because as a teenager, my guy friends were really into off-roading. And if you've ever been off-roading, what you know is that you spend seven hours, not seven hours, but you spend a while driving out to wherever you need to get to, to off-road. And then, oh God, it's the worst. Within like a minute, somebody gets stuck somewhere and then you spend the next three hours trying to get them out by towing them. Off-roading like is never as fun as you want it to be. But you have to put the car in neutral. And my dear friend Jesse texted her brother to ask who's the mechanic to ask like why it needs to be neutral. And apparently, if you're towing a car and it's not in neutral, the transmission will try and shift gears and it can blow the transition, which is why if you've ever seen a tow truck, a tow truck will take a car under its wheels and will lift the car up and it doesn't actually drag the car. You know, like when a tow truck puts a car on their, like, they, like I said, they just, they go under the wheels, they lift the car in the air, and then they move the car forward, like, on their trailer. This was just David using his truck and a chain to pull this other truck back about 10 feet. Of course, people flipped. They went wild. Janelle and David posting something, themselves doing something illegally online is bananas because they know how the haters are. And, I mean, as we saw last week, they were able to get the Secret Service to their home. (laughs) By the way, David's Instagram has been suspended or deleted or something. Uh, So, he had posted this on YouTube and I think as, like, a way to get followers. But, of course, they were, like, a million people reported them. And because they were in Wilmington, the Wilmington Police Force, which is, you know, a more substantial police force than whoever is in charge of, like, their rural land, which is probably a sheriff's department because they're pretty far out. I'd be surprised if there was like a local municipality that was in charge of them. But the Wilmington Police Force, Wilmington is a pretty substantial city, was able to go find out the guy who had, (laughs) whose car was towed. The guy at first was saying he wasn't going to press charges. By the way, this incident happened back in June. Um, Janelle posted something like, Why does he even care now? Like, this happened back in June. Like, why didn't you do anything in June? And it's like, because now there's a tension around it. And also she was posting about how unfair it was that there was fake news about them, which is just so funny because, like, she posted, well, he did, but they posted the video. Like, nobody found this video and distorted it. Like, David posted the evidence of himself illegally towing a car. The guy said that his transmission was blown, the local news is involved, Now it's become, like, this whole big thing, and as of yesterday, I believe, the guy who I guess at the time had called the police and declined to press charges is now pressing charges, brought the local news with him to the police station to report this incident so that he could press charges. (laughs) I'm living for it. I don't know what David's going to get charged with. The Wilmington police has been, like, updating about it online. The local news is, like, super into the story. Um, So, yeah. Possibly David will be getting arrested soon for posting a video of himself illegally towing a car. Like, how fucking stupid do you have to be? The answer is very. They're very stupid. And we know that. They're stupid people. And 
I think it's just like the obsession with the tension and the narcissism that they have. But yeah, so that was a fun, fun, fun moment. And then even better, Janelle decides that to post a video of herself burning the PR package that Kale had sent her (laughs) for Kale's new hair care line, Pothead Hair. Kale had given a quote a couple weeks ago that she sent it to everybody, including Janelle, and that she wanted Janelle to see it as a peace offering. Now, of course, Kale knew Janelle wouldn't see it as a peace offering. She knew it would cause drama, but God, I'm she could never have predicted this. Janelle burns the hair care, almost burns herself in the process of it. <laughs> Posts this crazy Instagram rant about how Kale's a fake bitch, like fuck you, Kale. <laughs> then Kale smart smart move she and pothead decide to do a sale on the pothead merch not merch but well i guess it's merch but the pothead line using code lit (laughs) which is pretty brilliant this is like honestly best case scenario for kale like she could not have wished this to go any fucking better nobody in franchise history is more hated than david and Janelle is pretty down there. So for David and Janelle to take aim at Kale just makes Kale look good. And it makes the haters, especially because the show's not on right now, so we're not watching Kale be bad, makes them totally forget they want to support Kale in opposition of Janelle and David. And like, Kale, my hat's off to you for the amount of publicity you've gotten. People are like, this is Janelle being out of control. I've never seen her like this. I don't think so. I think Janelle is just fucking obsessed with attention and has been getting a lot of attention. Her and David have been getting so much attention. Am I part of that? Absolutely. Are you all part of that? Absolutely. We are all validating everything that they do. Do I understand that that's bad? Yes. Do I have a moral quandary with it? With it, Of course. Will I examine that any further? No, I will not because as I've said multiple times, I cannot think about the ethics of teen mom. We cannot do that on this podcast, guys. We just can't or else there will be no more feathers in my hair because in reality, we shouldn't be watching the show and we should especially not be talking about it online and we shouldn't be podcasting about it because that just feeds Janelle and David and all their bad behavior because we're giving them reinforcement. Now it's negative reinforcement, but they don't give a fuck. They don't care if it's positive or negative attention. They just love the attention. And I do know that I'm 100% feeding into that. I, I acknowledge that. What really goads my goads my gears, what really grinds my gears is people that don't seem to understand that the online interaction and giving Janelle attention is like part of the drama and the mess. And it's why Janelle is the way she is, because she gets these people giving her attention for every single thing that she does. I don't think like they did this to be violent. I think they did this because they knew the amount of attention that they would get. They got a ton of it because it's fucking crazy to do. It's crazy. David's also fighting with his sisters. They've been going off. Um, Molly McAleer sent me a blind item about David that he had pulled guns on his family members. And first of all, I I personally don't like any of Crazy Days and Nights uh, lawyer, entertainment lawyers blind items about Team Mom because I think that I could write all of them. Like, I honestly could very easily write Team Mom blind items because I don't think that he has very much inside information about Team Mom. I think he goes on Twitter and Reddit and Facebook groups and then just takes what everybody's talking about and makes a blind item about it. And I'm sure most of the people listening to this podcast could do the same because you clearly follow Team Mom closely, at least closely enough to listen to Feathers to My Hair. 
And I also didn't think it was, like, really real because Jessica, April, and then there's a third one, I think her name is Amber, have just been rooting and tooting all week long (laughs) under their name. They're fighting with Janelle. They're fighting with David. His family is awful. One of his sisters left this message on Starcasm, like, on a Starcasm article, and said that David is insane and that he he refuses to go to the head doctor, as she called it. <laughs> Ugh, I don't know. It's such a mess. I, I don't know. I wonder what the downfall of Janelle and David will be. I mean, do I think that this guy that pressed charges on them for legally towing, like, do I think it's going to have, like, serious repercussions? No. It's, it'll probably be a misdemeanor. He'll get a fine. He'll get on probation. But probation could be serious for him because I doubt they can stop smoking weed. That could be good. I don't know. I'm just not sure if or when consequences will ever come to Janelle and David. I guess I just don't see them happening any time in which Janelle has access to money. Because they'll always have money for lawyers. And I think they've, they have secluded themselves far enough away from most people that their ability to stay out of trouble is pretty high. Although... It's crazy because if they had never posted that video online, like, he wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't be in trouble. And that will be the downfall of them forever, is that they're just, like, fucking obsessed with attention. So I think that's it for In the News this week on Teen Mom. Let's get to Teen Mom OG right after a quick break. Well, it was the season finale, which feels quick. I feel like this was a short season, but actually the perfect amount. I would love for them to do short seasons every year. Year? Every other year? Or every half year? How often does this show come on? But let's start with Cheyenne and Corey, who, as I said, have no place on this show. (laughs) This... This episode, just like, it really stood out to me how little of a place they have on this show. Once again, they're at a party where everybody's drinking, but it was not, like, it was good. Like, I was entertained by it. It just doesn't make sense on Teen Mom. So, basically, it's the official anniversary of when Corey got the DNA test and met Ryder. Apparently, he met her for the first time on Halloween, and she was in a hot dog costume, which is pretty cute. Uh, They have a party to celebrate it. They are wearing those stick figure costumes. I don't know if you've seen them on the internet, but in case you didn't watch the show, basically you wear like a black sweatsuit and then it's LED lights that make you look like a stick figure. Corey, Cheyenne, and Ryder are all in them. They look great. I mean, I love those costumes. If I ever go trick-or-treating again in my life or dress up for Halloween, I would wear that costume. I think they're fun. Uh, All their friends and family are there and Cheyenne, her stepdad starts by saying like, welcome to my home. I'd you know, we love you, Corey. And then Cheyenne gives a speech and it was real. Oh, wait, I skipped a whole part. (laughs) Oh, sorry, guys. First, this episode starts off and this is important with Corey and Cheyenne meeting up for dinner. And Corey is basically like, uh, since you told me you had feelings for me, I want to like put the yield on us. I am not ready for that. Basically, well, first of all, he says it in, like, such an asshole way that just, ugh, made me so fucking annoyed. Tomlin, I know this probably would drive you nuts, too, in which he's like, so you single now, girl? Like, what's your dating life like? And she's like, you know I'm not dating. Like, you know I'm not with anybody. And he's like, 
yeah, well, since you told me you liked me, like, I want to put the yield on this because, like, I don't want you waiting around for me. I'm not ready for this. So, like, you go do you. You go figure out who you want to be with, which is so fucking annoying because Corey was pretty much a dick to Zach and about Zach being in their life and really wasn't here for Zach and caused drama between her and Zach. I mean, he did it a little more low-key than we're used to seeing on this show, but, like, you guys better believe, like, Corey was not supporting Zach and Cheyenne being together. So for him to be like, go date around, girl, like, that's on you. Like, I don't want you to wait for me. It's just such a dick thing to say, especially, like, he knows Cheyenne is in love with him. This is why their co-parenting relationship will not work out in the long run the way that they have it now. Because Cheyenne is in love with him and he doesn't care about her beyond being a friend and a co-parent. He even, like, this week, Farah, for some reason, like, was talking shit on Cheyenne. And so Corey, like, did this video and he's like, don't ever come from the BM, his baby mom. And basically, like, saying that Cheyenne's the best, he's her queen, like... I think he even said, like, she's my black queen. Like, it was a really nice video, like, not in the context of their relationship. I don't really understand. People praise him so much for their co-parenting relationship. But I guess I just have princess in my ear too much in which, like, there's clearly no boundaries. They're together too often. She has feelings. He doesn't. Like, they're basically friends with benefits where one person is in love with the other person and the other person, like, could not give any more a fuck about them. Like, that's where they are. And that never ends well. And and this is going to be 10 times worse because there's a child involved. Anyway, back to the party. Cheyenne basically gives this speech in which, like, it was so hard to get pregnant. Like, when she found out she was pregnant, she was like, this is the worst. (laughs) Then she gave labor, and that was really hard. And then Ryder got sick. And what should have been, like, the happiest and best time of her life was, like, the worst thing that she could ever imagine. She did not know what she was going to do. She was just, like, in this sea of despair. And then Corey came and, like, she's like, you know, it wasn't just that, like, you were a dad. Like, you took that pain off of me. And, like, I didn't have to do this alone. And, like, you were able to take that pain away. And I'm almost, like, tearing up thinking about that because I think that is a very beautiful thing to say. And I really can appreciate where Cheyenne is coming from. And I thought she explain that so well like what she was saying and why and why she loves Corey and like how important Corey was to her in that moment and basically she's like you know the first time Corey came over like I made my family just like stand in another room because they're so overwhelming and now he's part of our family and if you take if I didn't know what I knew about Cheyenne and Corey and the fact that he knows that she's in love with him and he doesn't have the feelings return, I'd be like, oh, this is so beautiful. But it just hurts my heart because Cheyenne basically got up there and, like, declared her love for him, more or less. So, it's the next day. Cheyenne calls her friend. By the way, we saw Cheyenne driving. (laughs) She's always just riding in that back seat with Ryder, but she was actually driving in this episode. And she basically calls her friend and tells her friend that her and Corey left the party together. Ryder stayed with her mom and they had sex. And she was like, her friend was like, oh, is there a Ryder 2 coming? She's like, no, no, this was not like a sloppy drunken hookup. And her friend's like, oh, you made love? And she's laughing. She's like, I didn't say that. But like, clearly that's what she's, what she meant. And I believe that this is a very sex filled episode. 
I believe that, like, they went to Corey's house and made love. Like, I, I bet they weren't that drunk. And I bet they just, like, it was all about how much they love each other. And, I mean, I'm sure I didn't say I love you, but it was all about, I love being Ryder's dad. I love co-parenting together. And for Corey to do that is so beyond fucked up. It's so fucked up. It's one thing to have drunken, like, sloppy sex with her, like, in the corner of a hotel room while you guys are filming the reunion for the challenge or wherever it was that you guys had sex. It's another thing entirely for you to, like, leave the party celebrating you being a dad and bring Cheyenne home. Like, make a conscious choice to bring Cheyenne home with you and then, like, make love to her all night. Like... Oh, that's just so fucked up. I'm sure come reunion, we're going to find out they're not together. I'm positive they're not together right now. They don't seem to be together from social media. (sighs) Poor Cheyenne. I mean, not that poor Cheyenne because, like, he's telling her exactly what, like, he's being honest with her. She, like, with his words. It's just his actions aren't being honest with her. And, I mean, I'm sure all of us have been there, right, where we're just, like, so into this guy and we like convince ourselves like it's just casual it's just casual and he keeps telling you like no it's just casual it's just casual and you're like yeah 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 but like you're in love with him it's gonna end badly and that's a real shame for Ryder it's like just date and like actually date and like go for it and see if the two of you like can be in love and this can be something that like is actually great for you guys or just be co-parents you know, if it's going to blow up, at least give it an honest shot at, like, being a complete family. That's not fair. I shouldn't say complete family because they are a complete family. But, like, a two parents living in the same home family. If you're going to blow it up, might as well do it. But Corey is a fuckboy <laughs> is what it comes down to. He wants to fuck everybody. Like I said last week, if you're a challenge head, can you please send me a message on Instagram or Reddit or Twitter or wherever you are and let me know about this girl that says she was dating Corey like the whole time he was filming Team Mom. Can you please just let a girl know about whatever the fuck that is because I don't understand where to look for challenge gossip. That's not true. I could go on the Reddit for challenge or Twitter. But like it's just it's hard for me, guys. (laughs) I'm tunnel vision. No, I'm not even tunnel vision. I don't know if you guys know this, but, like, I'm kind of obsessed with all celebrity gossip. You do know this because I've talked about this extensively and I've been on this mushroom. But I, like, love celebrity gossip and I follow celebrity gossip in basically all forms. But for whatever reason, the challenge is just a hard one for me. So if you know anything about that, please just send me a message and I'll update the rest of you next time I record a podcast. But, yeah, I, I feel for Cheyenne because she's just, like, Totally setting up herself for failure, and that's very frustrating to watch. Okay, I want to go to Bristol, who, this was crazy. Like, we all agree with how crazy these Dakota and Bristol scenes were, right? I can't remember if I said this on the podcast last week, but I'm pretty sure Dakota and Bristol are back together in real life right now. If you go to their social media, they're both being, like, very nice about each other, posting pictures with each other, doing family events. And as we see from this conversation and from past conversations, like, when they're off, like, those two are off. Like, they're not hanging out as a family. They're not posting blended family stuff. They're talking shit about each other. Cheyenne, or excuse me, Bristol, remember when she was in Alaska? 
talking to that friend. She was like, when the two of us are together, he tells me I'm a queen. I'm the best. He like smothers me with love. And then as soon as we break up, like I'm the worst person in the world. And I totally believed her when she said that. And so now that he's like posting positively about her, I'm like, hmm, okay. Especially based on like everything that we're seeing in this episode where they like cannot stand each other. I find it hard to believe that now they're like all going paintballing as a family and like going to see Santa together and she's letting Trip like totally be around him. But basically Dakota has agreed to talk to Bristol and she is going to go to a therapist that specializes in PTSD beforehand. Now, as you guys know, I do not think any real therapy happens on TV, but I will say I found this therapist to be kind of a breath of fresh when it came to reality TV therapists because I I didn't think it was like an actual therapy session. She was just like giving Bristol some tools and I thought she was very insightful about Dakota and we found out more about Dakota and Bristol's relationship in which we find out that Dakota and Bristol got engaged within a month of meeting, which is crazy. That's fucking nuts. Then she got pregnant. And then right after that is when they plan the wedding and then she sees like all of these red flags. I'm wondering like the time in between getting engaged and like setting the wedding date and having the wedding planned. Because if you'll remember, they called off the wedding like less than a week before the wedding was supposed to happen. I wonder if this was all within like three months because I think it was at his farm or his, like, property in Kentucky. So they probably were able to pretty quickly plan a wedding, especially with unlimited funds if the Palins were funding it, you know? So Bristol says, like, she started to see, like, a lot of red flags. So she called off the wedding and they did not speak again until the baby was born, which we had known because, remember, they both tell different stories in which he says he found out about the baby being born via Twitter And Bristol says that she had told him or somebody told him and he tweeted about it before she could like publicly announce that the baby was born. But they did not talk for that entire nine months. As we know, Dakota had to get a DNA test to establish paternity because she wasn't willing to just let, you know, like establish a paternity. There was visitation and child support set up. It was a whole thing. Uh, She says that when they're together... Like, from basically instantly when they're, like, when they got back together, Dakota would then start to leave her. And he would do this thing where he would constantly, like, leave her because he has such bad anxiety about her leaving him. She says from basically because she caught off the wedding, he, like, constantly was in this fear that she was going to leave him. And the therapist is like, okay, well, that's because of his PTSD. Because his PTSD has a lot to do with, like, the extreme loss that he experienced, which, as we know, he lost his entire battalion. Is that what it's called? But dozens of people, I believe, like, a significant amount of people, as we've heard him talk about, were all killed, and he was the only survivor. Some of those, I'm assuming, he was very, very close to. And that she, the therapist basically said, like, his PTSD is very much, like, loss-based, so he's going to suffer a lot of abandonment issues. And, like, I thought that was insightful. I think that was insightful for Bristol. Uh, She said that, like, he would just leave her and then come back because he was so scared of her leaving him. Just a mess. The therapist basically gives her, like, what's it called on Reddit? (laughs) 
and raised by narcissists and just no mother-in-law. Gray rocking, I think that's what it is. Like, basically it gives her gray rocking advice in which to, like, refuse to engage with him. And any, if he gets mad, like, if they're talking and he gets mad, that she just needs to, like, shut it down and not engage with him because any reaction that she has is going to trigger a response from him, which makes, which is going to make him blow up, which I also thought was good advice. I think Bristol would be pretty good at that. So, Bristol and Dakota meet up and have a wild conversation. I cannot believe that she married this guy. Like, I, okay, I don't have a lot of empathy for Bristol. I don't, I find her very cold. I kind of think she made her bed and lied in it. But the fact that she married this guy, I'm guessing because she was so embarrassed about having another kid out of wedlock and, like, got herself into this situation kind of makes me feel sad for her because I truly can't imagine, like, imagine what their relationship was like and that she agreed to marry him after, like, they got back together. And I guess she was pregnant with Atlee when she did that. I just, I don't know. Like, she was basically like, okay, here's the thing. Like, I just want us to stop talking shit about each other. And he was like, (laughs) she says, how can I help you? How can I be better for you so we can co-parent? And here's the thing. I think what what drives Dakota insane is that I don't think Bristol speaks like this in real life. I think she goes into these sit downs where they're filmed and she says, what can I do for you to better our co-parenting relationship? When the cameras aren't there, she's like, you should go fuck yourself, you fucking asshole. And so I think that she has this, I think that for him, he has this like, it's like insanity, not insanity. It, why can't I think of what I'm trying to say? But I think for him, it just like drives him up a wall that Bristol comes in with cameras and like is so calmly like, but how can I help you? Because he's like, no, no, you can't help me. He even says like, where was this when we were married? Like, why do you want to help me now? He really, I mean, he's yelling. First of all, Dakota's just like a yell talker, which, you know, can relate, but he is not just like a loud talker. He's an aggressive talker. And I think he does it all the time, even when he's not aggressively yelling at somebody like he was at Bristol, but he was, he just like went into such asshole mode. And I, so I think what happens is he gets triggered by Bristol, like, basically being another person on camera. And I think it's very funny because I'm pretty sure that Dakota expected the cameras to come in and he would get to, like, tell his story. And Bristol expected the cameras to come in and she would get to tell her story. And neither one anticipated at all how the other would react to the cameras, which is kind of brilliant for us as viewers that we get to watch that. (laughs) Like, I mean, it is. Like, we're seeing these two people who have agreed to put themselves on camera just be, like, totally disgusted by how the other acts on camera. And because the fourth wall is broken, they get to talk about it. Like, that's amazing. And that has been by far the most compelling part of Bristol and Dakota's storyline this season. And one that I hope to continue in next season of Teen Mom OG. But Dakota's like, do you know how many anxiety attacks I've had since you left? None. I've had none, which I find 
very hard to believe. Like, he is somebody with who's very sick. He has a very severe mental illness. I find it very hard to believe that Bristol was the cause of all of his anxiety. Like, I find it impossible to believe, actually. Um, Dakota's screaming that he never wants Bristol to bring him up anywhere, never talk about him. He's like, don't talk about me on social media. But the funny thing is, it's like, I don't really see Bristol, like, ever talking about Dakota on social media, at least not negatively. And he's always talking negatively about her. And she's like, okay, but, like, how can I understand you? And he's like, it's too late! Ugh. (laughs) It's so bad. Um, He says that he has no desire to talk to her at all. The only thing that he wants to talk to her about is the kids. Uh, The only time he wants her to text is if there's something going on with the kids and that he doesn't want to be her friend, which, like, honestly, fair enough. I Like, I get what Bristol's doing. She wants Dakota to stop talking shit on her online, which, like, yeah, I get. So her thing is, like, okay, so how can we do this so, like, you stop talking shit about me online? What do I have to do? And I think Dakota's thing is, like, he wants her to stop talking shit about him, like, in front of their kids and to people they know in real life. And that's why he's, like, go fuck yourself because you talk about me, too, even though we don't see it. But we do see her talking about him to the kids. But uh, Bristol says that he's, like, she's, like, okay, well, he's, like, I don't need a co-parent who is my friend or some shit. And she's like, okay, well, I don't need a co-parent who steals from me. And I was like, yes, Bristol cracked. And that's what me and the MTV producers were hoping for in this meeting. And that Bristol was going to come in and she was going to sit down. She was going to do her cry rocking thing where she like doesn't let anything get to her. And she just lets Dakota yell and yell and yell. And she's going to look better and she's going to come out looking great. And what I am probably Larry and... Kirthy or whoever is the producer for them was hoping that he would get under her skin. And now is that a bad thing to hope for? Yeah, of course, because we're watching him basically emotionally abuse her on camera, but I can't, I can't help it. I'm watching a TV show. And when she says that, he's like, here we go. And I still want to know more about how he stole from her. Because what they explained to us did not sound like stealing. It was clearly, like, cleared up very easily. And I went to Coda to give, or Bristol to give us a detailed example of what happened with the money and why she's accusing him of stealing from her. Dakota's like, you're a liar, I'm not. Who gets in front of these cameras and is a fucking liar? It's you, not me. I'm like, Oh, I love, you know, you guys know I love when cameras are mentioned, right? And I want every reality TV show to break the fourth wall. So that was just like chef kiss, chef kiss perfect for me. And then he starts screaming that Bristol, he gives Bristol $2,500 a month in child support. And then she walks away. (laughs) Personally, great way to end the season for Bristol and Dakota as far as I'm concerned. Bring them back. They're stars. Honestly, ditch Bristol and just let Dakota be on this show. He's a fucking star. I know I've said it. I said it before. I'll say it again. We're we're not team Dakota, but we're team Dakota is a star. Because we all, like, look, I don't think it's easy to be married to Bristol Palin, and I think she's manipulative and cold and a bitch. But, like, we're all on Bristol's side, right? Like, we all know Dakota is not right. And he was probably extremely emotionally abusive to her. And, like, I believed what she said, like, that she would lay in bed and 
be, like, terrified of him killing himself in their living room. Like, I'm on Bristol's side as far as this marriage and divorce goes, but as far as this show and watching their scenes, like, Dakota, you're it for me. (laughs) I'll be interested to see them on the reunion. They filmed the reunion a while ago, actually the weekend that I did that Jersey City podcast. So over a month ago, because it was before Thanksgiving, it was like November 17th, the weekend of November 17th, the 18th is when they did the Team Mom Young and Pregnant and the OG reunions. So it's been like a while and it's possible they, I wonder if that's when they started hooking up again when they were in New York. Ooh, God. I'm just, I'm really sure that they're hooking up again. And I bet she'll be pregnant with baby number three soon. Oh, but although somebody said that they thought Dakota had a vasectomy, but I don't even know how to go about figuring that one out. So if you happen to know about the status of Dakota's Voss, what's it called? A Voss difference? I don't think that's right. But if you happen to know, like, the status of that, like, you just send me an Instagram message. Por favor. Okay, let's go into Macy, who had a very touching episode. I don't have, like, a ton, a ton to say about this, but... I mean, really, nobody else totally felt like a season finale except for Macy. I thought this was, like, a great, great ending for her. Like, she looked great. Jen and Larry looked really good. Um, Basically, it's Halloween. They invite Mackenzie over, which I think is really nice. It's nice that Jen, Larry, and now Mackenzie and Baby Jagger are being included in this. I think that's really nice of them. Um, everybody's getting along well. I laughed at Mackenzie pushing that stroller all the way up that fucking hill. Because, you know, they live on that monstrous hill. It was cute. Um, she's like, Macy's like, there's a baby in there, Maverick. There's a baby. And she said, look, baby. Look, Maverick, baby. And Maverick goes, baby daddy. (laughs) Oh, it was just cute. Macy's kids are really cute. So, Jen texts Mackenzie I mean, Macy, and lets Macy know that uh, Ryan's getting out of rehab soon. And Taylor and Macy have a conversation that I thought was really good and that, like, the first time he went, they thought it was bullshit. He went for, like, 19 days. It didn't do anything, and they didn't think, like, as soon as he got out, they had no confidence in him. But they're really impressed that he went for a full 90 days, and they're ready to support him. Yes, they still have a restraining order against him, but... You know, I don't think Macy and Taylor as well have ever actively tried to keep Bentley out of, Ryan out of Bentley's life, ever. You know, like, I really don't think so. I think that they've always been pretty supportive and really they've enabled him for a long time. They didn't put his shit on the show until he basically came out on the show and was driving high. You know, like, they've known about Ryan's issues for a long fucking time. Don't forget, Ryan went to rehab for the first time in like 2012 or 2013. So this has been known about, and they never put it out there. And I think they just, they really want to be able to see Ryan do better and be better because they care about Bentley. So they want to have, like, just a legitimate adult conversation about him with Ryan about, like, where we go from here. Like, Macy doesn't want Ryan, and I thought this was really nice and insightful of Macy. She doesn't want Ryan to come home and feel like, nothing has changed and nothing will change and there's no hope for him when it comes to like Bentley and being a dad to Bentley and so she was like look I'm willing to talk to Bentley or talk to Ryan let him know that like if he's doing the right thing like you know maybe he can go start going back over to Ryan's house and I thought that was great so why am I out of breath 
I'm gonna have to do my nebulizer tonight, I guess. My asthma my asthma is acting up a little bit. Macy and Jen and Larry and Taylor all go out for dinner, basically to discuss Ryan. And Jen and Larry say he's doing really well. And Jen kind well, Taylor's like, I can tell he's doing really well. Like he stayed for the whole time. I thought it was I think it's just so nice that Taylor makes such an effort to be supportive to Jen and Larry. Like he really doesn't have to, but Taylor is Bentley's father figure and tries really fucking hard, not just being like somebody that's there for Bentley, but like being fully part of Bentley's family. And I think that's commendable. So Jen says that, oh, we find out that Mac apparently said that she would divorce Ryan if he didn't complete the program, which I don't know. I think that was said for the cameras, you know, I think that they, I think that they do care for Mackenzie, especially now that Mackenzie is Jagger. We see how much they care for Bentley. We know that they will care for Jagger. I'm sure they love huddles. Like, I fully believe that from the moment that Mackenzie started coming around, like, Jen and Larry were all in on baby huddles. Like, we saw Huddles has a stocking at Jen's house. Like, I have a feeling that Huddles is with Mimi and Pop-Pop, like, as much as Jagger will be there forever, even when Mackenzie and Ryan divorce. Like, I think Jen loves kids. I think Larry loves kids. And I think the more the merrier for them. But Jen says that she, like, still feels that Ryan is mad at her. And this is, like, it's sad. She starts crying that Ryan is mad at her because, and she feels a little guilty that she so much took the lead on Bentley. And Ryan said he feels like an uncle, which is sad. But, like, Ryan, if... If Jen didn't take the lead, she would have no relationship with her grandson because Ryan wouldn't have any really Like, Ryan wasn't going to have a relationship with Bentley regardless, you know? And the only reason he even feels like an uncle as opposed to a fucking stranger is because Jen took the lead. He should be thankful to Jen that she took the lead. You know, it's like kind of... It's really frustrating to hear that he would say that. Although, I guess it's good that he's being honest and that is, like, his perspective at the time that he told her this and that he feels frustrated. But the reality was, like, without Jen and Larry, like, Ryan would have almost next to nothing to do with Bentley. He wouldn't have had most of his visitations. Like, he wouldn't have had most of the relationship that he has with Bentley. So, like, an uncle is a lot better than where he would be without Jen and Larry basically insisting that they were going to be, like, an important figure in their grandson's life. He should be grateful to them for that. I hope one day if Ryan does ever recover and gets therapy and works a program and does whatever he needs to do to, like, make, to be a genuinely better person, that he'll be able to see that. Um, I don't blame him necessarily for not being able to see that at 90 days sober. Especially if Ryan's been drinking and using for a long time. Like, <laughs> takes a lot longer than 90 days to gain perspective on your dysfunctional family. <laughs> At least, like, clear and full perspective. You get a little bit of perspective, but it takes a while. So, Jen is, like, crying, and Macy's like, no, I think Ryan, like, Ryan made bad decisions, and she said, but, you know, it was because of his addiction, and Larry starts crying because he says, you know, that addiction caused this rift between us. If you'll remember, like, they had that huge blowout a couple seasons ago. Larry said that he wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire. 
I don't think they've had a good relationship ever since then. Um, it was really hard to watch Larry cry. As I've said a million times on this podcast before, like, it is so easy just to criticize Jen and Larry for enabling Ryan and Mackenzie and forget the fact that Ryan is an IV heroin user, which means he could die every single time that he puts heroin in his arm or wherever he's shooting it. Like, I just think that's so important to remember. And in that moment, it's so important to remember when you're watching Larry cry about his son that has a deadly addiction. Um, The weight of that is, it's not lost on me, but I think it gets lost on the audience. And I think part of that is MTV not, like, really hammering home, like, how serious the opiate epidemic is and how serious, like, fentanyl is which is getting in everybody's heroin and basically all drugs if you use drugs of any kind like be careful like you can probably buy a fentanyl testing kit on the internet be careful all drugs have fentanyl in it now basically like everything like even coke which you would never think because fentanyl is a downer but just be fucking careful even if you're a casual drug user and like you just party occasionally but i i do think that like that point just needs to be hammered home and I'm going to keep hammering it home because, I mean, I do think that there's a very real possibility that Ryan will die. And that's terrible to say out loud, but it's the truth. And, you know, when you're watching parents cry over their son that has a deadly addiction, like, it's tough. But I, it was a good, it was a good scene. And Macy says, like, the thing that's never left and never will is, like, her love for them. And Jen and Larry are both like, and we love you. And I just thought that was so nice. And it was true because no matter how much they fight, whatever's going on, like they do love each other and they all have a goal for what's best for Bentley. Even if they don't have the same vision for how it's best for, like how to get what's best for Bentley out in the world. I think they do all have that goal. So she even mentions that she'll talk to her lawyer because she doesn't want the restraining order to interfere with them talking or going to counseling together. I think Mac, Ryan, Taylor, and Macy going to some counseling sessions would be great. I mean, maybe not Mac because we know Ryan cheating on her again. But I do think, like, they could all benefit from some co-parent or from counseling so that they can all be better co-parents. Okay, let's go to Kate and Amber. They kind of had an intertwined scene this scene. Okay scenes this week uh because Kate goes to visit Amber I did notice that Kate just brought Nova by herself and nobody on the internet has said poo about it now you know if Ryan if Ryan if Tyler had bought brought Nova somewhere it'd be like all Tyler does is take care of Nova by himself Kate's so lazy but like no comment on the fact that like Kate is Nova's fucking primary caregiver which is why she took her with her to Indiana anyway so, at Kate's scene, um, they, they're going to separate soon. They're trying to get Nova kind of accustomed to the new house because she's going to be spending half her time there. And they take Nova on a riding lesson at the new house and Nova's just so cute. So, Kate and Tyler are having this conversation out at dinner and Kate's talking to him and basically like, frames a question for Tyler like well what would be easier for you and then she kind of catches herself and she's like you know what let me rephrase that because every time I talk to my counselor I she says that I'm only talking about like what you want and not what I want and I was like great I mean I think I think a lot of people disagree with that but I don't think that's necessarily untrue that a lot of her attention is focused on pleasing Tyler 
I think it can be hard to see because the treatment stuff is just so large and looming over everything. But I think she does, like, walk on eggshells around him. And I think he walks on eggshells around her. So, the general contract, like, basically why they're having this conversation, they get interrupted. The general contractor basically says, like, you can't move in as soon. And Kate's frustrated because she wants the house to be done so that they can start the separation. I can't imagine my husband saying, while I'm pregnant, remember, while, like, hey, I want to separate. And then we have to sit around and wait months for it to happen. I'd be like, okay, then go run an Airbnb for a month. Like, they have the money. Go put them in an Airbnb for one month. If it's that important for him to separate, like, why do they need to wait for the new house to be done? You're telling me he can't afford to Airbnb a place in Michigan? Come on. I just don't think it's right that he's, like, making her wait for so long. And I think the reason he's making her wait is because he wants to hold the separation over her head. And I don't think he really is an interest in, like, actually being separated. I think his interest is that he wants to, like, he wants Kate to remember that they're separating. <laughs> Which, yikes. So, Amber has reached out to Kate and basically said, like, hey, I've been having thoughts about hurting myself and other people and Kate wants to go visit her. So, they make this plan that Kate's going to go visit and why Kate visits, Tyler's going to move into the new place so they can get the separation started. Um, I'm going to skip talking about Kate and Amber until Amber's scenes. So, Tyler, while Kate's gone, Tyler, Kim, and... Uh, Tyler's stepdad go out for lunch and Kim's like so have you set any boundaries for the separation and Tyler's like no I think it's just like common sense and his stepdad's like there's no common sense in a separation which I thought was a great line and very very true so they want to know like has Kate said things that piss you off and Tyler's like well you know like she says I don't pick up my clothes from the floor and Kate Kim's like that's it and Tyler's like, I know, it's so frustrating. She won't tell me, like, things that make her mad about me. Like, I live with myself. I know that, like, there has to be things that make her mad. And Kim's like, well, you know, she's just, like, not saying it because she's scared. She's trying to spare you. And he's like, yeah, but now's the time. She has to say it. And Kim's like, yeah, but she's scared of what your reaction will be. And I thought that was very telling because, as we know, Kim never, like, sticks up for Kate. She almost always takes Tyler's side. And I found it very interesting that she was, a, like, acutely aware that Kate is scared of Tyler. I don't think she's scared he's gonna, like, hit her. But I think that Tyler has an anger that we do not see on this show. That his mom knows about and that Kate knows about and maybe his sister knows about. But we don't get to see it on MTV. And I think that maybe is what Kim was talking about. Tyler is, like, well, she needs to speak up now or she doesn't get a chance to speak up. Like, the world isn't waiting for you. You need to speak up for yourself. And it's like, that's true. But part of this is why, like, Kate's not in a place where she can speak up, I don't think. I think Kate is so fucking, although I do think that she's been a lot better in the last, like, five or six episodes. Like, I think Kate has so much internal shit going on. That she can't even process, like, the issues with her marriage. And I can definitely relate to that. Because I've been in points in my life where, like, I can't... You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so much shit's going on and then somebody wants to talk about our relationship. And I'm like, I can't even think about our relationship right now. Because, like, I have to focus on this. And I really think that, like, I think Kate 
is just so drowned by her own emotions and, like, her own baggage and her own issues that the idea of then, like, getting into what's going on with Tyler is just too much for her and her mind, like, can't even process it. And I feel for her a lot there, but I also feel for Tyler there because that's insanely frustrating because their relationship is falling apart. Their marriage is falling apart and he wants to work on it and she can't even give him a thing that she's frustrated about beyond him picking up his clothes. But at the same time, it's like, okay, well, you kind of chose to start working on these relationship issues when you knew your wife was at an extremely vulnerable time. Now, I'm not saying, like, he shouldn't work on him, like, that they shouldn't work on getting better, but part of me is, like, you couldn't wait six months. I don't know. That's not fair either because she shouldn't have to suffer because Kate's suffering, but I get why he's frustrating, but frustrated, but I also get, like, why Kate can't get into it with him. It did seem like Kate was learning a lot from her counselor, and I was glad that she kept referencing her therapist. Uh, I bet some people didn't like that, but I personally liked it because it means, I think Kate is, like, finally actively doing therapy and, like, getting a lot out of it, (laughs) which is good, and I'm glad to hear that. So, Kate comes back and Tyler is not moved, and she's pissed. She's like, I need you to get in the house so we can do this 30-day separation, and then I can move in and we can be a family and have our future. And Tyler's like, well, you just want to rush to separation. And, like, I get what Kate's saying because she straight up asked Tyler, like, is this the point of the separation to get divorced? And he told her, no. He has no plans to divorce her. So as far as where Kate's sitting, like, she's thinking Tyler just wants 30 days on his own. And then we can just, like, move past this and we can continue to work on ourselves and work on our relationship. But we can, like, get the show on the road. And we've been, like, waiting for two fucking months for Tyler to do this separation. And now we have to wait even longer. I get why she's frustrated. And I think I would feel the same in her position. But Tyler has different plans. And it's pretty clear, at least at that point, like, he wants... (laughs) When he's saying, like, don't rush me in the separation, he's saying it because, like, he does want a divorce, probably. And that he does want the outcome to be a divorce and so when she says like well can't we just hurry up on this divorce so I can move in he's like yeah I don't want her to move in Kate reminds him that she's pregnant and she's like I don't feel like you care at all that this is hurting me and that I'm pregnant and that I'm stressed out as fuck and Tyler goes oh yeah I know I'm just totally demolishing the village that you built what the fuck is wrong with him And this is, like, why I don't feel that bad for Tyler. Because it's, like, if you're that miserable, move the fuck out. Don't sit around and wait months for your house to be done so that you can move out in your perfect, like, under perfect conditions for just 30 days. Go get an Airbnb and say, like, I don't want to be with you right now. And I understand that you're pregnant, but I'm not putting a time limit on this because I have fucking issues. And our marriage sucks and I cannot deal with it. Pull the band-aid off, dude. Don't do some tri- trial separation that you keep pushing back so it's further and further away. I mean, they're coming up on Thanksgiving at this point. Like, Kate just wants it to be over, and I totally sympathize with her for that. And I would feel the same way. Caitlin's like, you're being really mean to me. And Tyler's like, you're not letting me do what I need to do. And she's like, what are you talking about? I agree to a fucking separation. Which, yeah, she did. She didn't have to agree to that. I mean, he would probably have left anyway. 
but she didn't have to agree to a separation. And Tyler says that the message that he's getting from her is that he's fucked up. Ugh, these two are both so manipulative. That was so manipulative of him. And then, oh, whew, he says to her, he's like, when you want to make a decision for yourself, it's like, oh, good job, girl. That's great. Like, you go get help. Proud of you. It's so brave. And when I want to make a decision for myself, like, I get shit on. And Kate starts crying and she's like, are you seriously going to use my treatment against me? And then he storms away. Guys, I, Tyler was such a dickhead in this scene. And like I've said 17 times in this podcast, like if he was that miserable and not angry at Kate, like go get a fucking Airbnb. This is why I don't have a lot of sympathy for him because I think the way he's going to again about this is so shitty. And boy, have the tides turned against Tyler online. Whoo, people are mad. People are mad because they're seeing like, if you want to separate so badly, just separate. Like, what are you doing? And when he's saying, like, I need to do what I need to do and you're not letting me, it's like, she is letting you. She's letting you move out into your new home that the two of you own together. And she's letting you move there by yourself. He's just such a dick. I'm so over Tyler. I would love for Kate to leave him, but we all know that's never going to happen. <sighs> I'm interested to see what they talk about at the reunion because I is the reunion pre-separation, during the separation? Were they separated when I saw them in Atlantic City? I don't, I don't understand the timeline of the separation. Apparently, like, it really only lasted a week, and then he was sleeping at the house every day, like her house. Well, their house, but the old house. I think she's moved into the new house now. <sighs> None of it makes sense. They just need to get a divorce. Ugh. But they're not going to because they're about to have a new baby. In three, less than three months. Ay, 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 what a nightmare. Okay, so it's Amber. And Amber says the show has started airing and the haters are being really awful to her online. We're getting, we got some screenshots. I, I wonder what it feels like to be that person that your pixelated username screenshot gets posted on TV. I would want to kill myself. Like, that's tough. That's not, not great. So, Cousin Crystal comes over and Amber tells her she's, like, doing really badly. Her postpartum is so bad. I find it interesting, I think I've talked about this, that we're framing this as her issue being postpartum depression. Do I think her she has postpartum depression? Yes, of course. But why are we pretending like Amber doesn't have two fucking diagnosed personality disorders? Wait, is bipolar disorder personality disorder? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. But why are we pretending like she doesn't have borderline personality disorder and bipolar disorder diagnosis? Like, she has two very serious mental health issues and we're just like, oh, the postpartum, the postpartum. Like, do I believe the postpartum has triggered those? Yes, of course. But I just find it so bizarre, like, the way that we're focusing on postpartum and, like, Almost like this belief, like, well, once she gets past this postpartum, like, everything will be fine. Like, she's not going to be suffering from these disorders for the rest of her life. I, I just think it's very weird. Very, I don't know, not good. But that's always always been a thing with Amber, right? Where she just will be like, oh, well, my depression for this. And she doesn't take her issues seriously. It's just a shame. But... She tells Crystal that she one night felt so bad that she was waiting for Andrew and the baby to go to bed because she was going to kill herself. 
Andrew sensed it, so he just didn't go to bed. Crystal starts crying. I mean, that's like a heartbreaking thing. As I've said on this podcast, like the number one indicator for a person committing suicide is that they've attempted it in the past. Um, At least that's what I learned in a class once. I haven't actually looked at that statistic. It might not be right. But the fact that she's had attempted suicides, I've always said it's very troubling. I personally can see a dark end for Amber. I'm very worried about her mental health and have been for a long time. She did a live this week. I didn't watch it, but I read a description about it where she repeatedly said that she was manic during it. Oh, it's not good. It's not good what's going on with Amber. Um, I'm also very worried if she actually told Kate that she had plans to hurt herself and others, or if Kate just said that and, like, wasn't saying it, like, is an indictment of her, but, like, just meant, like, oh, she was saying, like, she was going to hurt herself, like, was just repeating, like, therapy talk and not actually repeating what Amber was saying. Because if Amber is having thoughts of hurting others, too, like, she, they need to commit her. Like, something, not commit. Well, yeah, commit. Like, she needs to be, like, put in a facility for a little bit where they can get her on new meds and get her hooked up with some intensive therapy. Um, but Gary and Christina talk about it, and Gary even says, like, she said it was her postpartum depression. And I wonder if Gary's thinking the same thing I am, that it's, like, you've always had these issues. That's also the kind of the weird thing is that, like, she's like, well, this is the worst it's been. Like, you know, this postpartum has just gotten really bad. I'm like... But what caused your issues last season, in the season before that, in the season before that, you know? She's just, ugh. Gary says, like, he really feels for her, but isn't really sure how to help. And then Kate comes over to Amber's house. And Amber lets her know that she's at her lowest. Um, Kate says, you know, there are facilities where you can get help. Like, you don't have to be on your own. And she's like, well, I can't leave my baby. And I think it's a shame because I think if anybody could really benefit from inpatient treatment, it would be Amber. If she could go to an inpatient facility that specialized in DBT, I think she could have a life-changing experience. I think intensive daily therapy with a strict routine and schedule would do Amber a world of fucking good. But I think she is too nearsighted to see that. I don't think she appreciates how sick she is, unfortunately. Then Amber goes on this rant. She's like, well, you guys just don't know, like, how much better I'm doing. And Kate's like, no, we see that. And she's like, no, it's fucking MTV. Fuck MTV. They don't show that I'm funny. They just show I'm a bad mom. And, like, goes on this whole rant. And you can tell Kate's like, yeah, <laughs> As you can tell, that's Kate and Tyler have always said, like, Kate and Tyler, for what it's worth, have never really blamed editing for their issues they've kind of always been some of the only ones that say like yes mtv can tell a story but they can't use footage that you didn't give them they've both said that over the years i think tyler even just recently tweeted that and i mean it's true i get i can imagine how frustrating it is that you film all of these great scenes with your baby and your new significant other and leah comes over and they're with the baby and mtv films that and then the only shit they show is the bad shit I would imagine that's very, very frustrating. But if you don't give them bad shit to show, then they don't have bad shit to show. I mean, we don't see Macy or Chelsea having bad moments because they don't give MTV their bad moments. But Amber is not in control enough of her emotions to not give MTV these bad moments. 
So it's just so bad. Like this scene is tough to watch because she's like admitting that she's suicidal, refusing to get treatment. As I've said before, it seems like her only support, and Kate even says it, is Andrew and a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is not enough. You go to a psychiatrist for like five minutes and get your meds filled. A psychiatrist is not a therapist. I mean, I guess there are some psychiatrists that do therapy as well, but I doubt that that's what she's seeing. Um, MTV shows us this live of Amber crying and saying how she has to stop being on the show. And then we get a scene of her calling Larry and David, the producer. I think that's his name. Larry is really sweaty. (laughs) And basically she calls and she's like, we have to end this. I have to separate myself from the show. Um, I would love to hear the producers like real unfiltered thoughts on the cast and moments like these where Amber calls and blames them for her craziness. Uh... They're like, no, we think that, like, you're telling a great story. Your redemption is just beginning. She's like, then she gets mad because she's like, no, you guys don't show fucking anything that I want you to. She starts yelling and then hangs up on them. Um, Which is, you know, classic Amber that she can't just, like, she can't just let it be. She can't just, like, have a calm conversation about it because she's a very angry person. Um. My thoughts on this is that I think Amber's had a really good season. Up until, like, the last two episodes, she hasn't been very angry. We haven't seen her yelling. We've seen her with Leah. She's with that baby all the time. Andrew's coming across great. I think they've given her a redemption season. I think this is Amber's redemption season. I'm not sure if it gets much better than this for Amber, which is sad, but... Mm, the reality. So that's a wrap on OG season, I don't know, on Amazon it's season 21, but that's because they combine all of the seasons of Team Mom 2 and Team Mom OG. Probably season 8 because they took that break. Anyway, I almost said I'm excited to see the reunion. Who am I excited to see a Teen Mom reunion, please? Okay, This has actually been a pretty long episode for a solo app. Let's go on to Teen Mom Young and Pregnant. I want you guys to know that I listened to, because remember I didn't watch a second episode last week, but like I'm a journalist, so you know, I have to watch the episode so I can do this podcast. And so this morning when I was driving to and from hot yoga, I like listened to the episode. (laughs) I didn't watch it because I was driving, but I just listened to it. That's a good thing about Teen Mom is that like you don't need eyes on the screen really ever. Um, I just wanted to touch on the fact, okay, let's talk about Kayla and I'll quickly touch on what happens at the end of last episode. So it's Isaiah's first birthday party. Her and her friends are dressed like conductors because it's train themed and they kind of were. She said, do we look like conductors? No, but like they actually kind of did. They did a good job on those Fashion Nova fits. Um, and she invites Stefan to come. She invites him to come to set up. Well, I don't think Luke needed to be there. That's maybe a hot take or controversial opinion. She's been with him for a very short amount of time. A very short amount of time. He could have stayed home. Now, do I think she should be catering to Stefan? No, of course not. But if she's genuine about wanting Stefan in Isaiah's life and that she wants him to feel comfortable around her and she wants him to be happy and be part of it, then like, yeah, don't invite eyes or Luke. Just like let this be a day without Luke. Like he doesn't need to be there. 
He's not Isaiah's dad, and you've barely been with him for a minute. At the end of the last episode, Stefan, like, loses his mind and says that Stefan cheats, or Luke cheats on Kayla, which I don't believe. He also says to Jamie, like, did she tell you that I helped pick out this outfit and that we were together to pick out this outfit? Which I do believe, um, and Jamie believed. So the scene kind of starts that, the episode starts that Kayla's mad that Stefan even showed up if he's going to make things stressful. But it's like, girl, when was the last time Stefan showed up anywhere and didn't make things stressful? So Stefan leaves and then Jamie is like, did you seriously see him to pick out Isaiah's outfit and lie to me about it? And Kayla just, like, unleashes on her. It's very obvious to me that Kayla takes out on Jamie what she can't say to Stefan. And I get that because her mom is, like, a safe punching bag. I don't know if you guys watch the show Better Things, which I highly recommend if it's, it's on FX or FXX, whichever one. It's on Hulu, both the seasons. And in... In a scene from season two, which was powerful and beautiful, and I cried my eyes out, one of the main character's daughters says to her, like, I have to be mean to you because this world is so mean to me and makes me feel so bad, and I have to put that out on someone else, and you're the target that I have to use. Um, Obviously, more eloquently, I'm going to watch that episode after I finish this. But it's in season two. It's called Eulogy, I think. But, like, I think that's what Kayla is doing. In that she can't be mean to Stefan. She's not going to be mean to her new boyfriend. She's not going to be mean to her friends. Who she can be mean to is her mom. That sucks, but she's also, you know, 18 years old. So, Kayla's like, Stefan was lying. You believe Luke cheats on me? Because... He was lying. He's trying to start a scene. Why do you even believe him? And basically the party ends pretty badly. I feel I feel for Kayla because I think she is so confused about how she's supposed to let Stefan be a dad and also, like, not have him part of her life at all. So we find... Kayla tells us that, like, she felt bad about the whole day, so she let Stefan come over and see Isaiah. And Jamie finds out, and Jamie is pissed. She's like, did you seriously let him come here? And Kayla's like, yeah, well, it's his dad. But Kayla's not allowed to have Stefan at the house. Uh, Kayla says that, like, Stefan beating her and stealing from her and her mom and screaming at her mom is separated from Isaiah. And she's like, no, it's not. Which, true, fair enough. And Jamie kicks her out of the house. I mean, we don't get, like, a date. We don't know how firm it is. We do know that she moves out. But... I commend Jamie for that. Jamie said, if you're not going to follow my rules, then you got to go. And finally, I thought that was good of her. Not that much happened in this Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant finale. By the way, if this is the last fucking episode of Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant we get, I'm going to be so pissed. I'm going to be so mad. I love Teen Mom, Young and Pregnant. Okay, so Kyler and Lexi's parents have made up. By the way, like, Kyler didn't even fucking apologize. Amber, God bless Amber, who, like, knew she was never getting an apology from Kyler, was just like, Kyler, it's okay. It's water under the bridge. I don't care anymore. And Kyler was like, okay, cool. (laughs) Oh, poor Amber. 
Honestly, kudos to Amber for being emotionally intelligent enough to know that Kyler would never give her an apology and that she didn't feel like fighting with Kyler anymore, so she was basically going to apologize to him. So it's Tobias's first birthday, and Lexi's like, your family's obviously invited if you want them. <laughs> we find out that Kyler does not want to invite his mom. Um, things are not going well between them. He only ever talks to his mom if she's asking him for money, which is very sad. And he wants his little sisters, his siblings to be there, but he doesn't think he'll be able to be there without Katie, his mom being there. Amber, when Lexi relays this information to her, Amber doesn't seem surprised. So I'm assuming that they've been dealing with Katie and her antics. Katie's Kyler's mom, by the way. Katie and her antics for a long time. And it's kind of sad that none of them are surprised by this. <sighs> Makes me feel sad for Kyler. I think Kyler was given a tough hand. And I think he's trying to figure out how to overcome that and doesn't know how to overcome that. By the way, I wonder if he's still working that job that's an hour away in Telluride or what, wherever it was. We haven't heard about that. And he watches Tobias all day. Well, when he's not doing his, like, three hours of school. I'm interested in that. I know they're streaming on Twitch, so he's probably making money that way. So, it's the day of the party, and Kyler's mom didn't get invited. He tells Lexi that Katie had asked him about it, and he told her that she was not invited, and her response was that he wasn't allowed to see his siblings anymore, which is sad. But Kyler is pretty mature about it, and he's like, you know, it sucks, but... She is really just, like, setting herself up for failure, and it's going to bite her in the ass. And he knows that, like, eventually his siblings will realize what happened, and they'll be mad at Katie for it and not mad at him. And I think he's right. I think he's very right. So they have Tobias's birthday party. It goes well. Mazel tov to Tobias being one. By the way, it's pretty impressive that Lexi, as a teen mom, is still breastfeeding Tobias at one years old. I wish they talked about that more. I know I've talked about it on the show but I would like to hear open and honest conversations about them breastfeeding on this show because they literally never, ever, ever talk about it. Okay, Ashley. So, Bar and Ashley are getting back together, as we all knew they would. And Bar's been going to anger management for a few weeks, and Ashley goes to see Chris. And Chris is, like, not thrilled with this development. Ashley's like, well, I'm going to go with him to couples anger management and Chris is like you know it's not like couples therapy right like it's his anger management classes and she's like yeah but the counselor wants me there and Chris seems highly skeptical um Chris is like I think he's just going because he wants you back like I don't think he's going to actively make a change which I agree with so we get a scene between Chris and Pastor T where Chris facetimes Pastor T and Pastor T picks up the phone and says hey ugly I also remember how I told you guys that Ashley had once posted, like, bragging about her braces on Instagram. I'm wondering why Chris didn't get the braces, because Chris has some fucked up teeth. It's not that they look bad. There's just, like, a huge space in between them. I think it's actually pretty endearing on Chris, but I'm wondering why Ashley's grandparents got her braces and not Chris' braces. Maybe Chris didn't want them. I don't know. But Chris and Pastor T are pissed. They are not pleased that Barr and Ashley are getting back together. They think it's bullshit. Um, ever since he's been back in the picture, she's like MIA from both of them. Pastor T says, if you want to be with Barr and live that ghetto thug life, that Bobby and Whitney life, which made me laugh. 
Because that is honestly kind of what they're doing, the Bobby and Whitney life, where I think they just, like, do a ton of drugs and fight and scream all the time, but they're, like, so in love and can't separate. At least that's what they tell themselves. She says, that's fine if you want to do that, but you can't do it in my house. And I think we all know that Pastor Chi will be kicking her out. They're just really upset that, like, they encouraged Barr and Ashley to be together for so long and, like, excuse me, supported them for so long. And then this is the result. And I, I get that. I definitely have been in that position where you, like, try to help a friend so much and you're, like, you help them in their relationship and then it still blows up. Which is why you should stay out of other people's relationships. Life lesson to me and to all of you. Ashley and Barr go to anger management. I thought his counselor seemed okay. Um, Ashley says that she feels like his communication has improved, that he can actually tell him, tell her how he's feeling instead of just blowing up. And Ashley and Barr decide to work things out. We know that they're very much together, at least via Instagram. So Jade, Jade lets us know she's really proud of Sean. He's been going to IOP for a month and he still doesn't have a job. Of course. Um, Jade's good news is that Jade's grandma only has cancer cells and that she didn't have tumor or something. I don't know exactly. I didn't write down exactly what she said and I'm, I don't know that much about cancer, but basically they were able to get it all out and that it was like best case scenario, which is good. I really felt for Jade because her grandma raised her and it's sad. I don't think she's very old. So Jade just wants Sean to get a job. She is paying for everybody around her. She can barely keep her head above water. She's working 55 hours a week and she's going to let her mom store some shit in the basement. So her mom goes over there while uh, Jade is still at the hospital and Sean and Chrissy have a talk and Chrissy's like, well, I'm about to run a place because she's about to get hired at a restaurant. Apparently she should have taken a drug test for this restaurant and I've never heard of a restaurant that drug tests. So... You know, I don't know about that. But Sean is like, oh, Sean's saying that he's doing well at his program and that Jade doesn't drug test him anymore. And she's like, oh, so she can forgive you, but she can't forgive me. (laughs) Which, like, yeah, it's a different dynamic with your boyfriend than it is with your parents. That's a real thing. (sighs) So Jade's mom even says, Chrissy says, just because somebody did drugs before doesn't mean that they do drugs constantly. <laughs> oh, so it's so delusional. It's so delusional. I like, and I get, I get what she's saying because I think Chrissy thinks like because she's not actively using drugs that like all should be forgiven. But I think Jade's issue is that like even if she's not using drugs, like Chrissy's just a mess. Like she has nowhere to live. She won't get help. She won't get a job. And Jade just can't, she can't do it. And I definitely feel for Jade there. So, Jade and Christy go to lunch, and Christy lets her know that she's starting the job soon, and Jade is just skeptical. You know, she just, she's just skeptical, and that's all she wrote for Jade. And I'm going to quickly do Brianna. Sorry, this is, like, a very short Team Mom Young and Pregnant recap, but, like, I don't know. I loved watching this episode, but I feel like there wasn't that much to talk about. And I think that that might be an issue now that, like, the the newness of Team Mom Young and Pregnant has like gone away and I can't get as deep into their storylines and what's happening on the show just because like we don't know them as well as we know the OGs and I just don't have you know with Caitlin and Tyler we can talk so much about their separation because we've been watching their relationship since 
they were 16 and they're now in their late 20s. And we just don't have that background with the young and pregnant girls. And I think when it was new, there was so much to talk about because it was new and fun. And now I just really like watching it. But I'm not sure how much recap material it's given me, which, you know, is okay because it was this season finale. Ugh, let's pray not series finale. So, Bryson has started to walk, which is great. Brie got her state insurance finally, and she goes to see her therapist. She tells the therapist about Danae and about Robert, and Brie is, this made me sad, but I think, and she says, like, Brie's really feeling the regret of having a baby. <laughs> like, you can tell she just, she's not happy that she made that choice and that her life is so hard. And I don't think she, like, fully understood just how hard her life would be. And I think she's having that, like, crushing realization that her life is going to be this hard forever. And I feel for her. I definitely, definitely feel for her. So, as we all know, Brie and Jessica are broke. They're worried about making rent. And Jessica's like, well, we might have to get second jobs. And we might have to find a roommate. And Bree's like, you know, I want that to be the last case resort, that we have to find a roommate. I mean, I think finding a roommate is a very good idea. I understand it's hard because they have a young baby to bring a stranger into the house, but, like, they have that big house. They can't afford to pay for it, so a roommate seems logical to me. Jessica says, well, what do you think, like, about reaching out to the bio dad? She brings it up again, and Brianna shuts her down. Is like, just because times are hard doesn't mean I can ask him for money. And it's like, no, I think that's, like, exactly what it means. Oh, it's just so unfair that, like, all of this has to fall on Jessica and that the bio dad doesn't have to do shit. Brie, I wonder, uh, like, if she got a new job. Did they say if she got a new job? Maybe they did and I just totally missed it. Anyway, that's it for Young and Pregnant. Like I said, not that much happened that was worth talking about, but it was still a good episode to watch. I will be interested to see the Young and Pregnant reunion, even though I know when I get on this podcast, I'm going to be like, I hated it! Because that's just who I am. <laughs> anyway, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I'll see you in 2019. When I come back, it'll be two years since I started this podcast, which is crazy. I started it, I think, like, January 6, 2017. Early 2017, because Teen Mom 2 had just premiered. I know I reflected a little bit in the last episode because it was my 100th episode, but I just can't believe that, like, I've been doing this for two years and now I'm reading ads and we're fully on iTunes and, yeah, I just, I love you guys. I'm so grateful for everybody that listens. I just still can't get over the fact that, like, literal thousands of people listen to me every week talk about Teen Mom <laughs> and, like, nobody in my real life talks to me about Teen Mom. <laughs> So it's just, it's just crazy. I, you know, was born with the gift of the gab, if you will. And I'm just so glad that I get this outlet to use it. So I hope everybody has an amazing holiday. I hope you get some time off work. I hope everybody relaxes and nobody gets into a huge family fight and that, yeah, that you just have a great time. Stay safe on New Year's. Be careful if you do coke on New Year's. Like I said, it's cut with fentanyl. Everybody, if you do drugs at all, just go buy a fentanyl testing kit. Obviously weed, not weed, but like go buy a fentanyl testing kit, please. Do it for Liz. That can be your Christmas gift to me. Anyway, I love you guys so much. Happy New Year. <laughs> and also I love saying this because I'm a corny person. I'll see you next year. Bye guys.
This has been an episode of Feathers in My Hair, an Emotionally Broken Psycho's Patreon exclusive. Executive producers Molly McAleer and Liz Bentley. Produced by Nicole Matthews. Special thanks to Sarah DiGiovanna for our logo. Head on over to our Patreon page for more rewards. www.patreon.com slash ebpsychos.